All right, well, we are in the midst of uh, the series on Ephesians, and uh, we are today talking about sex. So there, I said it. <laughs> sex. I said it again. And uh, we're just going to talk about it, because it's, it's here, and Paul talks about it, and uh, so that's what we're going to do. So... I know what happens when we talk about sex. I know that there are some in the room who want me to take like some sort of stand on this side of whatever or on this side of whatever, and my goal is really to disappoint everybody. <laughs> so I hope I get a chance to, to do that. Um, because, as we're going to see, what Paul is uh, going to be talking about and prescribing for us is, is not about specific behaviors and what's right and what's wrong. And it's not about that. It's about how we approach it. So let's look at the text together. Um, the last couple weeks, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, chapter 3 is where we'll... Uh, uh, verse 3 is where we'll start. But while we're turning there, uh, the last couple of weeks, Paul's verbiage has been that we walk worthy of our calling as a church when we do s- certain things. So a couple of weeks ago, we walk worthy of our calling as a church when we walk in unity. Uh, last week, Chase talked about we walk worthy of our calling as a church when we take off the old self and we put on the new self uh, through the renewing of our minds. And this week, Uh, is uh, that we walk worthy of our calling as a church when we follow God, when we imitate God, when we listen to what God would have us do, uh, the way he would have us to speak and think and act as opposed to anybody else. So that's what we're going to look at today. Ephesians 5, let's start in verse 3. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognizes this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what's done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it's said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul, right from the very beginning, uses several different Uh, terminology, several different words, sexual immorality, impurity, obscenity, foolish talking, uh, rude joking. What's going on? What Paul is really setting out to do is to give us an umbrella. He's saying, look, I'm not talking about one behavior. In Paul's world, in in the world of Ephesus that he's writing to, uh, it is normal 
just normal to go down and uh, sleep with prostitutes, the local brothel. That's just normal. So he's, he's not just saying, well, I got to address this one behavior. He's talking about all of it. And, and see, in our world, we get this way. We, we get focused on one behavior. We start talking about, especially in church, we start talking about sexual immorality. We, we might get focused on one thing. Don't, don't get too focused on one thing. This, this is about all of it. Before we get too deeply into this topic, you, you have to remember that God is the inventor of sex. Okay? He's the one who designed it. He thought up uh, what it is. He built it. And he put it here on earth for a reason. So this is not a shameful thing to talk about. This is not like an impure thing to talk about, an obscene thing. But what Paul does, interestingly here, is he links it with idolatry. You see that? When we, someone who engages in this kind of behavior, well, they're an idolater. There's a word that we don't think of much in our world. So idolatry is the most hated of the Old Testament sins. It's the sin that the Hebrew people have such a hard time beating. In fact, it, eventually they go into exile because they can't stop worshiping other gods. Now, our world, our world, we don't think about Baal or Molech or any of these. We, we don't have idolatry in the same way that they had, but it's every bit as destructive. And what Paul does here, because he's writing to a people where... There are idols. They're surrounded by idols. They walk down the street and there are like statues of idols. There are temples to idols. So they, they live in a world of idolatry. But what he does is he links this, this idea of idolatry to something else, to sexual immorality. What is, what is going on here? Idolatry is the root sin. It's the sin that's at the base, the foundation of all other sins. Ultimately, idolatry is what? It's about putting something on a pedestal and bowing down to that thing. It's replacing God. God says, that's where I am supposed to be. He starts out the Ten Commandments by saying what? I am the Lord your God. I have no other gods before me. This is what sets the tone. In our world, what we do is we put things on a pedestal. If I'd only I would get that job, if I could have that job, oh, that would be great. And we, we're willing to move God off the pedestal of our lives to achieve that thing. If I could have that job, if I could have marriage, if I could just get married, everything would be fine. If I could just have a baby, everything would be fine. Everything would go smoothly. If I could just have this much money, everything would be, and we start replacing God. In fact, we're willing to set aside time with God, Conversations about God, serving God, in order to achieve these other things. That is idolatry at its core. Immoral sex. That's what Paul's talking about. Immoral sex is anything that places sex on a pedestal and gets bowed down to. Well, who does that? Our culture does. Our culture absolutely does this. We start defining ourselves based on not being a follower of Jesus, because when you're a follower of Jesus, that's how you identify. 
You don't identify as a soldier. You don't identify as an American. You don't identify, not primarily anyway, you identify as a follower of Jesus. That is your identity. What does our culture say? I identify as, and it's about sex. It's about gender. We've changed it into our identity. We can't find our identity in those things. They're false gods. They'll never be able to give us what God provides. The first thing that Paul tells us is that when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to to anything, God is the one who sets the standard. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Like 25 years ago, I had a friend who was in the concrete business, and he was commercial concrete. And so they would pour these huge slabs. And one time I was talking to him, he said, I got to pour this, this giant slab all this week, and it's for a warehouse, and it's several hundred thousand square feet of concrete. And I was like, I know nothing about concrete. It's wet, and then it's not. That's what I know about concrete. And I'm like, wow, that sounds really, I'm guessing that's hard. That sounds really hard. He said, well, that's not even the half of it. The problem is that this is a warehouse that's going to use robots to pick things off of shelves. Now, again, this is 25 years ago. I'd never heard of anything like this. He said, in order for the robots not to get confused about where they are, you can't have any level in the surface, hundreds of thousands of square feet. So from one side to the other side, there can only be like a millimeter and a half of rise or fall in all of the slab. It has to be that level. And I was like, buddy, good luck with that. I, my goodness, that's ridiculous. That is an incredibly tight standard. How do you do that? That is the standard that God sets for us. Look at what Paul says. He says, not only is this about, well, don't engage in that. Don't, don't be a part of that. Don't click on that. Don't whatever. No, no, he says, don't even joke about it. It shouldn't even be heard of among you. That's a really high standard. It's a different standard than maybe we're used to. And Paul doesn't just use idolatry, he also uses another word, and that word is greed. See, if idolatry is the root sin, if it's the thing that that leads to everything else, greed is the engine that drives it. Think about it. If I put something on the pedestal of my life outside of God, and I want to bow down to that thing, but then I lose my passion for that thing, I'm like, "Ah, I don't really want it anymore. Then I take that thing off the pedestal of my life. But if I get greedy, I never take that thing off the pedestal. Do you ever wonder, like, when those of us who have normal amounts of uh, income, when we have conversations, we talk about some celebrity or, you know, sports star or whatever, and they make $200 million in two minutes, and we're like, are you kidding me? What, what do we say? I'd quit. I'm not, I'm not doing that again. I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be done. I'd kind of walk away. You know, these guys don't. They can't. In greed. There's never enough. It, it just fuels. It's self-fueling. More. 
I need a little bit more. I got $10 million. I need $20 million. You know what's better than $20 million? $21 million. And it doesn't shut off. It just continues. So that's, you, now you have a system in place. This thing that I worship, this thing that I long for, this thing that I want, my life is about, and, and I will never stop pursuing it. And so we have a culture that has glorified sex. We've put it in a place of prominence. We've allowed it to control our thoughts. We've allowed it to control our actions. We've allowed it to control our emotions. This is the definition of a God. So God is the one who is supposed to set the standard for us. He's the one who gets to decide. Second thing Paul says is God establishes the definitions. And we're going to talk about the definition right now, some of those words. And before we talk about that, I want to, I want to say this. Two things, actually. One is I want you to know I know who's in the room. I know who's watching online. I know that there are some of us uh, in here and some of us watching online who are uh, struggling with sexual identity. Uh, some of us are not struggling at all. Uh, with sexual identity. We just have like, embraced an identity for ourselves. I know that. I know that many of us have loved ones, friends, whoever it might be, who are somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. We have folks in this room who have dealt with abortion in their lives. We have folks, we have uh, affairs that have taken place. There are all kinds of things that have occurred in people's lives. I know that. And I want you to hear from me, as one of the pastors, I'm just glad you're here, and you're loved, and this church loves you, but more importantly, God loves you. You're not a mistake, you're not an accident, you weren't like God was creating people and it was like, well, whoops, one got by, well, I guess we'll just kind of let it go. That was not the deal. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. So I want you to know that that's where all of this comes from. And, and I wish that I could go through and unpack like all the different uh, pieces of uh, sexuality and what it means and here's what God wants us to do and I, we don't have time for that. And so uh, on our website, uh, we have a section uh, under values and beliefs called sexuality and marriage. Feel free to go there and read that. It, we didn't just put it up this week because we were talking about this. It's been up there for ages. And, and you can read about that anytime. But these kinds of conversations, if you want to talk more, are best had in person. And if you want to talk to a pastor, director, uh, here, one of the elders, whatever it might be, we'd love to arrange that too. As the inventor of sex, I think we should agree that God should really be the one who defines what sex is and is not, what immoral sex is and is not. He's the inventor. He, he knows what it, was, what it was, what it was supposed to be, what it was intended for. He gets to define those terms. We don't get to define them. Well, what we've largely done is chosen our own definition of immorality. Well, this is wrong and this is right. And my question is, and Paul's question to us, how do we come to that definition? All right, let's do a little experiment here. Um, those of us who grew up in the United States in particular, if uh, we uh, are carrying a flag, or the American flag, we're carrying it on a pole, we've seen this like Little League uh, games or uh, you know, Cub Scouts or whatever, um, the, the flag should not touch the what? 
The ground, right, yeah. And so uh, here's the question. If the flag touches the ground, what, what do you have to do with the flag? Burn it, right, yeah, you gotta burn it, right? You guys ever been in a parade and seen like somebody from the VFW hall go out and just like tackle one of the little leaguers, grab the flag and burn it? Been a, been a part of a lot of flag burnings, have we? We've, we've not, which is odd. You'd think that we would, you know, want to follow the rules. So is uh, the U.S. flag code. The, the flag, uh, U.S. flag code is the Bible of the flag. It's the thing, this is what we do with the flag, this is how it's to be treated. So under the U.S. flag code, Title IV, Chapter 1, Section 8, Paragraph B, which I know you all know, <laughs> but I'm going to put on the screen just in case you need a refresher, says the flag should never touch anything beneath it, such as the ground, the floor, water, or merchandise. So here's the rule, right? And this is the rule that we are familiar with. And so what we would find, I would guess in C, would be that, and if the flag does hit those things, then uh, we need to burn the flag. But that is not what it says. The flag code says that if the flag touches something below it, we should, you ready? Raise the flag up a little. <laughs> that, that's it. Now, if you skip down to letter K on, under the same heading, you're going to read this. The flag, when it's in such a condition that it's no longer a fitting emblem for display, tattered, faded, whatever, should be destroyed in a dignified way, preferably by burning. Now, I don't know whether we just like married these two things together or what exactly happened, but all of us, when we grew up, we grew up hearing this. Where did you hear that? I think I heard it in school. I think somebody passed it along. It's probably where most of us heard it. Maybe parents or somebody passed it along. You know, if you touch the flag to the ground, you've got to burn the flag. Where do we come by that? We so easily just grabbed on to that definition. Verse 6 says that we have stopped looking to God for our definitions and are being deceived by empty arguments. The shifting sand of culture instead of the word of God has begun to define things for us. Just like Timmy sitting in the desk next to us has said, did you know that you have to burn the flag if it touches the ground? No, I didn't know that. Well, now we've accepted it. We've assimilated it into our belief system. We've done the same thing with sexuality. What in the world has taught us these things? Sexual immorality is not only unoffensive in modern media, it is actually the mark of good media now. You have to have it. And not only that, but in order to be a good person, you have to support the definition that's been handed to you of what sexual morality and immorality actually is. Because if you don't also say, yep, born this way, it's okay if we love each other, love is love, two consenting adults, just being true to myself, whatever the thing is, if you don't affirm that, you're going to get a call from HR or you're going to be cut out of somebody's life. And the question just comes back to, where'd you learn that? Just, just want to know. 
what's the source of your definition here? We've allowed a culture to dictate the narrative to us, the definition to us, for a long, long time. But to a follower of Jesus Christ, the most important consideration when deciding what to believe is what God thinks of something. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Many years ago, I was serving in another church, and some friends of ours came in, a Christian family, and uh, sat down and said, Steve, uh, our daughter has recently told us that uh, she's a lesbian, she's an adult daughter, and uh, we don't know what to do about this. We don't know how to navigate this. And um, it's very common in, in our world today. I've had many of these conversations with people. And they said, we would just like to know what you think. And I said, frankly, it doesn't matter what I think. I mean, you know, like as a friend and as a pastor, I can weigh in on stuff for you. But here's what's important. What's important is what you believe God thinks. So what I would encourage you to do, I can give you some resources and point you to some things, but I would really encourage you to spend some time thinking about what you believe God thinks about this. Do some research, study. Because what you do and how you move forward as a family is going to proceed out of that. Because if you don't have God at the center of it, what's the point? And a couple months later, they came back and I was talking to him. I said, well, where did you guys land on this issue? Because we're, you know, like even here at our church, we're a big church. There are lots of different beliefs across the spectrum, particularly about this topic. And I said, it's okay. We can all be under a tent together and believe different things about certain topics. A lot of us are on different places in our journey with God. And so we are, some of us are still figuring out what we believe. We don't expect you to have all belief and all understanding about all topics in order to come to church here. I said, where'd you land? Well, we just decided to adopt what our daughter's definition is of what is right and what is wrong. I said, well, that was an interesting way of doing that. Why'd you do that? Well, it's just too hard. I said, well, that poor kid. You imagine asking somebody in their 20s, hey, you, you tell us what you think is right and, and wrong. Like, Morally right and morally wrong about this issue based on your life and how you feel. And, and then you set that standard, you set that bar for us, and then we as a family, we'll just do whatever you tell us to do. Poor kid. It's really not about what anybody feels, what anybody believes. It's, it's about what God says. God is the one who sets the definition. And God is also the one who delivers the consequences. Look at verse five. The, verse five says, there is no inheritance for those who do this. It means there are people who believe that they are followers of Jesus Christ, but they're still practicing these things and they, they are mistaken. Paul warns that these are the kinds of things 
that belong to the old humanity under God's wrath. They're excluded from the new creation. I mean, think about it. If you're God, would you really want to introduce perversion into anything? A marriage? A relationship? A church? Let me just give you most of what is true, and and I'm just going to inject some of this other stuff in there, too, that's What happens is we come to church, and man, do we love Jesus in here. We love Jesus in here. We love singing about Jesus in here. Ooh, we love preaching, hearing preaching about Jesus in here, as long as it's not too long, right? It's it's here. Oh, man, we love Jesus here. And then we go out of here, I'm not sure that we love Jesus as much out there as we love him in here. It's really easy to love Jesus in here. Much harder to love him out there. I just wonder whether most of the people in our lives see any difference. Would they be shocked if they came in here and like, wait a second, you love Jesus that much? I had no idea. God is the one who's going to deliver the consequences to us. This is, this is one of the, the situations that Jesus is talking about when he says, that some of you are going to say, oh, Jesus, yeah, I love Jesus, yeah. And then you're going to stand before me someday after your death, and you're going to say, Oh, Jesus, we did all this great stuff for you. We went to this church, and, we did, and I went on a missions trip, and I served, and I did it. And he's going to say, who are you? I don't even know you. You certainly don't know me. Fortunately, God is also the one who provides solutions. And the solutions are not always what we think. The first solution for any kind of immorality in our lives, anything that's going on in the, our life, family, culture that is against God's definition is easy. It's the one we would probably go to immediately. It's separation. We simply don't watch that thing. We don't listen to that thing. We don't engage in that, what the world does. When it crosses a line, we walk away from it. We turn it off. We disconnect it. We don't need to take a stand against it. We don't need to boycott a company. We don't need to start a social media thing or whatever. And I refuse to be a part of it. We just turn it off and walk away. Easy. Except it's not always that easy. And here's why. Chase touched on this a little bit last week with the word legalism. See, because you know what's... What's really easy, if you want to keep somebody away from something, you just ban it, right? Just ban. We're not doing that at all. This is the culture that I grew up in. Maybe some of us did as well. I grew up going to Christian schools and church all the time and the whole thing. Like our church and our school, uh, they, gambling was bad. Like don't, don't gamble. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ban cards, not allowed to bring cards to any school activity, any church activity, and no cards. Because you can gamble with cards. Okay, so that's the rule. They didn't teach us how to navigate that. They just said, cards are bad. 
we don't want you to have premarital sex, so here's what we're going to do. You know what leads to that? Dancing. Mmm, so we're not going to let you dance at all. Never, never allowed to dance. Growing up, we said we didn't drink or smoke because it might lead to dancing. It's so much easier. You just put, you know, these electric fences around it. It's just, keep everybody out. But the problem is it, it doesn't allow you to learn to listen to God's spirit. Instead of teaching how to navigate difficult situations, we never allowed kids to go through difficult situations, to have hard conversations, to come home and go, I don't know what to do about this. We just kind of put our hands over their ears and covered their eyes and said, no, 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 no. And, and that's, that's not the way we live life. The thou shalt and thou shalt nots are a very small part of the Bible. And so be careful of those who try to make them bigger. And Jesus had some words with the folks in his day who tried to do that. So the first solution is separation. Here's a second uh, possible solution. And Paul uses this word, exposure. When we come across something, we expose it to the light. We highlight it so that it doesn't become normalized. In other words, we don't always have to like throw a TV out into the yard and say, nope, this is it. We're not watching this anymore. When something comes across the screen, we see a show, a movie, whatever it is, there's some sexual content, some behavior is highlighted. We make it a priority to do two things. The first thing we do is we fast forward, get through that as quickly as we can, and then we comment about it. Growing up, my parents did this by something would come on TV and they would say out loud, you know, we don't really believe in this. This is not what God's word has to say about this. This is such a shame that they have to put this on. They just assume everybody lives this way. Not everybody lives this way, kids. They're teaching us. Uh, I, when I was a, a youth pastor, it was so long ago, I'll tell you how long ago it was that I was a youth pastor. The movie Castaway had just come out with Tom Hanks, Helen Hunt, a long time ago. And it just come out, and everybody was seeing it, and um, I saw it, a bunch of our students saw it, and uh, we were together, and I said to uh, some of our students, like, what would you think of the movie? Did you like it? And uh, no. Really, why didn't you like it? Well, uh, Tom Hanks and Helen Hunt should have gotten together in the end. Now, if you remember the plot real quickly, Tom Hanks, his airplane crash, ends up a castaway, he's been dating Helen Hunt, he's away for four years, he comes, his rescue comes back, and connects with Helen Hunt again, except now she's married and she has a daughter. And in the climactic scene, he comes to her house and she gets in the car with him and they are going to drive away together. And she's gonna leave her husband, she's gonna leave her daughter. And so as we're talking about this, uh, uh, the students are like, I realize they're like rooting for this outcome. And uh, I have a choice as a pastor. I can be like that for shame for all of you. That is sexual immorality. How dare you? Don't you see what you're doing? Could do that. But instead, I just said, yeah, you know, I mean like, of course, it's Tom Hanks, you know? 
I, I get that. I get that pull. But here's a question for you. If your mom's old college boyfriend shows up at your front door, do you want her running off with him? Oh, no. Right. It's a teaching moment. It's an opportunity to redirect to say, hey, hang on a second. I know the world is telling us this, but let's, let's think about this. Let's just say it out loud for a second. Here's the lesson for our lives. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 5, Paul not only summarizes everything that he's saying, he kind of summarizes his entire theology. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In verse 10, he says, test what is pleasing to the Lord. In verse 15, pay careful attention to walk in wisdom. Verse 18, we didn't even read, but it says, be filled with the Spirit. You see the thread? God's definition has to be above all others. Where are you getting your beliefs? Last week, the renewing of our minds. Taking off the old, putting on the new. You see, there was a time in my life when I really didn't care what passed in front of my eyes, what I put into my brain. Didn't care. Wasn't that big a deal. And over time, over many years, I have had to sit before the Lord and confess a lot of things and to some people. And I have also had to replace what's in there with the Lord. And so, as my wife Kathy and I, we've been married for 30 years, as we're watching something and something comes on the screen, I get embarrassed. I don't want her exposed to this. I don't want to be exposed to this. But that embarrassment, that feeling, that's God's spirit who's stirring something like, what are you doing? Hey, kid. You supposed to be watching this? And that's God's spirit that's been doing something in me for years and years now. Praise God. And in the light of God's spirit, uh, any alternative to the narrative becomes foolishness. Someone says, well, actually, this is, that's not really the standard. This is really the new standard. And we look at that and we go, well, that's foolish. Because God's spirit in us knows that and tells us that. That's Christ working in us. You see, if those things don't bother us at all, we're no different than the world. What's your Netflix algorithm telling you to watch next? You know this thing is ruthless, right? It doesn't care. It's giving you what it believes you want, what you've already looked at. It's just populating it with more of that same stuff. What about your friendships? As you think about the people who surround you, do your friends, your family members broach topics around you, use language around you that you know would not be pleasing if Christ we're in bodily form, standing right there, like you'd be embarrassed, like please don't use those words in front of Jesus. But they feel a freedom to use it in front of you. Hey, it's no big deal, it's just mom. It's just dad, who cares? 
Is, is that how it's supposed to be? One of the things we understand about the world is that there are a lot of dangerous things, but there are some things that are a lot more dangerous than others. Where we used to live, we lived about 30 miles from a nuclear plant. 30 miles is not far enough. It's more dangerous. You, you want to live farther away than 30 miles from a nuclear plant. We understand this. We put boundaries up. We put barriers up. We stay away from things. We give a wider berth to things that are the most serious, the most damaging, the most dangerous. And yet for some reason, why do we feel like we can walk right up to sex? God is not a prude. He's not trying to ruin our fun. As the inventor of sex, he understands something, that within the confines of where it's supposed to be used, in the confines of marriage, it is a beautiful thing. But when you get it outside the confines, when it jumps the fence, I talk to so many people. I think most of the women I know have been damaged in some way by sex that was used improperly against them and a fair amount of men. It has an outsized destructive power to it. When it comes to sex, when it comes to the things that we're not sure about, when it comes to the things that or we're just going on somebody else's definition, oh man, give it a wide berth, because it'll wreck you. Let's pray together. God, the only place to go after we talk about stuff like this, the only place to go is to confession with you. The only place to go is right into your presence. You know, here's the reality. Some of us got distracted somewhere in the message and we stopped listening. We stopped hearing. We heard a word that we didn't like. We heard a sentence we didn't like. We heard, you know, something. We were like, I wonder what that is. And it, and it stopped. And we're stopping your Holy Spirit from doing what your Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And God, I pray against that. I pray that your spirit would break through and that we would stop listening to any voice that's telling us not to listen to you. God, you, you gave us sex as a gift. You give us the definition. You tell us what it is. You tell us what it's not. And even after we misuse it, you put your arm around us and you forgive us and you walk with us. And thank you for your grace. And I pray that we would experience it from you today. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.